because Christ had called them to love and bless the Azeri people. And they had gone to the town of Marniuli and they had started up a business there to um, bring back the ancient Azeri rug weaving traditions. And they were hiring Azeri women. They were loving and blessing that community and living with great generosity. And there were many people in this country and in America and I'm sure around the world who loved and treasured this family. And then last year on July the 4th, they were camping up in Duchetti and to the shock of everyone, they were senselessly murdered by a Georgian shepherd. And that was a dark day for this community. Many of us knew this family and loved this family and it was a dark day for their family and friends. And now in the providence of God, we have um, Ryan's parents and his brother Chad are with us today. And Byron and Lynn um, have agreed to share with us their own painful, yet strangely grace-filled journey of dealing with this terrible tragedy, walking through the struggle to maintain intimacy with God and even to forgive. So we're going to invite them on stage now. They're going to share their testimony, what they have learned, what God has taught with uh, taught them for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. And can we give them a warm TICF welcome? We are so glad to be with you. Thank you for your prayers through this time. We have seen so clearly that we, we call it a grace bubble. We know that so many are praying. One of the first things we could do when we got word, and, and you know, the first word was simply they found the campground, they found the car, they found Laura's body. That's all we knew. And there was a lot of misnews out also. But the first thing we could do was send out prayer requests and let people know, let our friends. So we just, we've been on the staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, crew, whatever name it might have here, I'm not sure, um, since 1967. And later we have been, or the latter part of that, we've been serving pastors and church leaders with a ministry called Church Dynamics International. So just, just to let you know a little of our background, um, we got the news and we just wanted to get the prayer out and we have probably over 400 people, at least 400 email addresses, uh, which often may be couples, families, and so on. And we just knew from the very beginning that God was lifting us up and it was so obvious and others could see it and say, how do you deal with this? So we're going to share some of that with you today. And I want to remember to give you just a little bit of updates, um, but I will be sharing some of my experience in response to what happened, and then Lynn will be sharing hers. And you'll hear that ours are different, but at the same time, we support each other in that. Neither is wrong, just as many of you may have suffered seriously, deeply in this loss, but have suffered in different ways, have experienced it. I may have tears during this time. I don't know. I just never know. But I just, we just want to share these things with you because they're so important. And I was struck. Thank you. I don't know where her worship leader is, but um, a wonderful time of worship. So many words. Amen. So good. So right. And yet there's one thing, and, and probably multiple things, but one thing that comes to my mind now that can interrupt all of that. doesn't change who God is. 
but changes our experience of him and our fellowship with him, and that is when we do not forgive. And I know that several of you here have had some deep pain in your life already. And others, maybe not as deep, but for you, it was, it was significant anyway. And so we all have issues that are really hard to forgive because we might think, oh, the person doesn't deserve it. They haven't earned it. Uh, we have some kind of power over someone when we don't forgive. All those are lies from Satan. Jesus said, forgive as I have forgiven you. And I'll leave it to the pastor to explain this further, or maybe you did last week, but even said, if you forgive, I will forgive you, and if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. And, and I have my understanding of that. But nonetheless, you know that one of the biggest issues in the world, if not the biggest, is forgiveness, the gap between man, sinful man, and holy God. And so forgiveness is so important in our fellowship with God, but it's also important for us as a protection because it guards us uh, against the ways that Satan would lie to us and attack us and so on. And you'll see that. Just look in Ephesians 4, 26, and later uh, also in Matthew 6. I was quoting in the Lord's Prayer. We say, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others. That was important to Jesus and is very important for us. My experience was, um, oh, let me, let me give you a little more update before that. Uh, things are going well. My responsibility in this is to represent Ryan's family and Laura's family legally in the process, and that has taken much longer than we could have guessed, even though people told us it would. But just getting the legal paperwork has been difficult, so that's been a lengthy and very time-consuming process. But it is going well. God has provided an attorney here who offered his services with no charge, and he's been a very good man to work with, an American in a large office, and also an attorney in the U.S. who happened to have gone to church with Chad, with uh, Ryan and Laura and Caleb. And did anyone, did you mention that Chad was a twin of Ryan's? So you, he knows, he knows you're likely to look and say, hmm, you look like Ryan. <laughs> or let's say Ryan looked like Chad. But um, either way, the Lord has provided attorneys very good help for us. Rewoven is going well. It's still in an interim situation. But there's a very good friend of Ryan and Laura's who named Mike Chapman, who's given very good leadership to Rewoven now in an interim and and I pray that he'll be able to do it long term, but we're still sorting that out. Uh, the weavers are weaving. The weavers have been paid. Rugs have been bought, etc. So, But pray for Mike because he's not Ryan. And Ryan had these wonderful relationships with the weavers. And it just takes time to build that kind of relationship. So pray for Mike and for his wife, Angela, please. When I first got the word, it was because the embassy had not been able to reach me or reach Lynn, and they had reached our daughter who was shopping, and she had to grab a box of ice cream cones off the shelf to be able to write on something. And then she called me, and, or she left a message, called me as soon as possible, and that's, that's where we got the information in the first place. And, and it just went on. When people ask me right away, how do you deal with this? All I could say, and, and all I could say was enough for me, but I could say the God I know 
is always good, always kind, always loving, always wise, and always in charge. Many friends of mine would be searching the Internet for information or wondering, how did this happen? Why did this happen? We have so many questions. But for me, I didn't want to chase those questions because that becomes a a trap of speculation. I just want to say I don't understand it. And honestly, I don't even like it. But I do trust God because the God I know is so big and so wise and so loving and caring that this is his business. And maybe someday he'll help me understand it better. And maybe not. I don't know. But I have to leave it with him. And I think that's true for each of us. Uh, So we have been free from the speculation. And I think that freedom and free from anger because we don't being you know, begin to build up the, the anger against the person who would do something terrible like this and whatever led to the circumstances. <clears throat> so we are free from that as we forgive. So for me, my situation was for some reason, but God gave me the grace that I never had anger rise up. And my comfort and my defense was to be able to say those things, who God is, because he is. I can trust him for that. And I realized later that in the ministry that we do a lot with churches, church leaders, has to do with making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so as I've been involved in doing that, the foundational elements of making disciples go back to who God is and who I am in God. And so God had just gradually built up in me that confidence, that awareness that I could say, I can leave this with God and be at peace with that. Lynn's situation was different and and not bad. It was very practical, and she will share that with you. Some of it comes out of her family background and so on, but she'll explain that. So I'll let her do that, okay? Let me just give an introduction. Oh, no. I hand it. What do I do with this? Am I on? I guess I am. Okay. Um, I understand that here in Georgia, there are a lot of confusion about what happened to Ryan, Lauren, Caleb. Um, During the trial, for our benefit, it was a closed trial, uh, which was a, a true grace because we really didn't want all the scandally stuff all over everywhere, on the television, papers, and so on. But uh, the jury found Kobari guilty of the three murders and assaulting Laura and, and sentenced him to life in prison. Unfortunately, they have filed an appeal asking for a retrial. So I would ask your prayers that that is denied. If with all the evidence that there is, DNA, fingerprints, everything else, there's no question of his guilt. So just pray that the, um, that the request is denied. The other thing is many people don't really understand all that happened. In the early days, we thought it was a flash flood landslide that had caused their deaths. And there was um, a landslide and flash flood, but not in that particular gorge. It was some distance away. And the media mixed that together with finding Laura's body in the waterfall pool. But they were two separate events. 
The other thing was um, how did it happen? They met Kobari on the trail. In the, in the beginning, he confessed very clearly what he had done. And what he confessed, I don't think he made up. I mean, it was uh, pretty potent. Met them on the trail. Ryan does not speak Georgian. He's fluent in Azeri, but not Georgian. And uh, Kobari didn't speak English. So, you know, all they could do was for charades. And uh, as far as their communication, he was wanting them to probably hire him to take them to the waterfall. Anytime you see a Westerner on the trail, you'd like a little money. And so that was likely something that could have happened. He did hike with them, ahead of them, some distance, because those pictures were on Ryan's camera phone. I don't know yet, whichever it was. And at some point, they arrived at the lower waterfall pool, and uh, they had snacks there. That's a proven fact. And then he said at that point that he left and went on to the shepherd's camp, which was uh, further up, uh, but to the left side. But that was not what happened. Um, as it turned out, he later confessed that Ryan and, Lo and Caleb wanted to go to the upper fall, and there's no way to do it right along the edge of the gorge. You have to know the path to be able to get up there, and apparently there are also some ruins, and took them up there. And his words were, Ryan got angry because I had the gun pointed at Caleb. I would have gotten angry too. And he asked him to move it and put it on the ground. And apparently some sort of altercation took place. We don't know what. But whatever happened, Ryan was not attacking him in any way because Ryan was shot in the back twice. And then Kobari said, I, I shot Caleb because I couldn't stand his screams. And then he went down to the fall and accosted Laura. At this point, um, that is all factual evidence with DNA, fingerprints, gun, everything. So there's no doubt of his guilt and the fact that he confessed that right away. I would actually ask you to pray that he would still heal Caleb's screams until he comes to a place of repentance and acknowledges his guilt, confesses that, and seeks God forgiveness. To tell you a little bit my story, when this first happened and I realized it was a natural disaster accident, according to the story, I mean, it was really hard. But God was gracious in having that be the story because that was easier to take than murder. The day I received information from the U.S. Embassy that it was a triple murder, all I can tell you is like my brain just exploded. I just, I could not handle those words. But at that very moment, as I looked up from the computer, I saw Ryan, Laura, and Caleb smiling at me. They were absolutely radiant. They were very much alive. It wasn't like a photograph. They were alive. And you know how you have some pictures where it's very clearly focused in the center, but it's kind of hazy around the sides? Well, that's the way this was, and I could see that there was another child next to Laura who was larger than Caleb, and their daughter was born here in 2012 but only lived nine days. So I'm certain that was Shannon that was next to Laura. Uh, in September, late September 17, Laura, uh, she'd had two miscarriages after Caleb's birth, but then she had um, another baby was lost, and that particular baby 
was at four months, and had he been term, he would have been about six months old, and Ryan had that little boy in the, my picture and my image that I saw. And then there were two other small images that, this was very hazy, I can't describe it exactly, but I'm assuming were the other two babies that were miscarried previously. And Byron's on the computer dealing with all the stuff that's coming in and the phone and so on. And he wasn't quite, he hadn't received any of the news I'd received about the murder. But all of a sudden I shout, Laura has all five of her babies. And I was so excited, so excited for Laura and Ryan and the whole family. And I just praise God for that. And then I began imagining, this was not part of the picture that I saw, what it must have been like for Ryan and Laura to meet Shannon for the first time that July 4th. And for Caleb to discover he had a big sister because they had never told Caleb about Shannon. And so the funny story is Caleb, when Laura was pregnant the last time and was four months along, Caleb wanted a baby brother to play with, but Laura wanted a daughter. And he'd say, no, I don't want a sister. I want a brother. And so now he has both. And Shannon's been there longer than he, so she could show him around. And Caleb loves Azari dancing, and I'm sure he's taught everybody up there. So that part was just very comforting for me. But as I began to think more about what had happened, I began to realize that I was feeling a feeling I hadn't felt for about 25 years. I grew up in a rather colorful family with a lot of pain in my past. And when I came to Christ at UC Berkeley as a freshman, I had no church experience at all. My entire theological education was my dad saying, GD this and JC that. That was the extent of my theology. And so when I came to Christ, I learned not too shortly after that, because of the wonderful discipleship I received through Campus Crusade, that I needed to forgive those who had hurt me. And I was faithful to do that. But the problem was, nobody ever taught me how to forgive the pain I had experienced. So I was an emotional volcano. All that pain I had stuffed all through my childhood was still exploding periodically, much to my surprise. I mean, it was just an overreaction to some situation. And as I began to think more about what had uh, taken place as we gained some more information in the next 48 hours because of the ballistics and the um, autopsies. I was getting angrier, and my heart was getting hard like it had been when I was a child to protect myself from further hurt. And I knew I didn't want to go back there. I'd been free for over 25 years, and that was not the way I wanted to live now. So I made the choice, a very deliberate choice, to forgive Kobari for everything that he had done. The murders, the assault, robbing us of our future with these kids, the ministry that they had had and were having among the Azari just so many different facets that were now lost because of their deaths. 
people, I'm part of a group in America that's called the Umbrella Ministry, and it's for mothers who have lost children. And um, a group I never cared to join, to be quite honest. But I went to my first meeting about three months after the children were killed. And um, you sit down, the instructions at the door say, sit next to somebody you don't know so that you can share each other's stories. Well, I didn't know anybody, so I could sit anywhere. And I sat down next to this gal, and um, I shared my story with her, and then she's supposed to introduce me in five... I share for five minutes. She introduces me in five sentences, and then she shares with me, and so on. Well, I wasn't prepared for what happened. Um, I shared with her what had happened, and, um, and she said, when was this? I said, July 4th. And she said, this year? And I said, yes. She was really upset that I was doing so well. And I'm in a, there are six of us in that group that are in the murder group. There's suicide and accidents and drug overdoses and cancer and a lot of different uh, forms of death. And the group there, some of them are really upset that I have been able to forgive as quickly as I did and that I also um, have really experienced joy during this time. Now, I don't say I'm not crying. I mean, I'm, we're at Ryan and Laura's house in Marnuli right now, going through all of their things. And I've shed a fair amount of tears uh, the first few days we were there before we went to Baku. We just flew in last night from Baku. And we have another week uh, to do that before our daughter's family arrives. And I'm hoping to have it all sorted by next a week from tomorrow. But as tough as that is, I know how God has blessed me. I know the intimacy that I have with God. And one of the things that I said to Kabari, even though he wasn't standing there, you know, you stole Ryan, Laura, and Caleb from me, but you're not going to steal my intimacy with God. And I knew that if I didn't forgive and I harbored bitterness and resentment toward him, I would lose my intimacy with God. And I could not go there. And I definitely didn't want the old hard heart that I had had, nor the anger issues again. As I thought about that, I remembered the process that I was taught. I don't know if any of you are familiar with uh, Neil Anderson's Victor of the Darkness and the Bondage Breaker, but Byron and I were part of that ministry and have trained others to do that ministry. And the first thing that I, I, first time I heard Neil speak, I knew about forgiving the person and forgiving whatever they had said or done that had hurt me. But no one had ever shared with me that I needed to forgive the pain that they had caused me. You cannot have emotional healing until you forgive pain and the consequences of that pain. So I was taught um, to make a list, and uh, like I had a page for my mom, my dad, my siblings, grandparents, other people that are um, that may have hurt you many times over life stand, and you just fill it in. What was the offense? And then ask God, how did that make me feel? And though I went to Berkeley and I did pretty well on my SATs, I didn't have an emotional vocabulary that I understood. 
I knew mad, glad, and sad, but I didn't know how to, you know, figure out how I was feeling about this. Rejected, worthless, um, abandoned, you know, just all those different things. And uh, so I would go down the list that I had, and I would put in those words, and then I would uh, ask forgiveness. Also, I would also choose to forgive my sinful response to whatever had happened because they had triggered that response. And, of course, I had to confess my own sin. But then, uh, as often happens, we develop coping skills whenever we have repeated pain. And I had developed a lot of different coping skills. One was to be a higher achiever so I could get out of there and go off to Berkeley. Another one was to be um, hard-hearted and just not letting people get close to me at all for fear of getting hurt. Um, Just a lot of different things like that. So I had to forgive them for triggering these various coping skills that had been a part of my life for so long. And then what are the long-term consequences of those coping skills? And so it was I faithfully did that. If you picture of an onion, you can have any other color skin, but you take off the crusty outside, and then you get to the onion, and it's layers, 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 layers. And that's the way forgiveness is. It's an onion. The crusty outside is the person and the offense. But it's the layers of pain, consequences, And generally speaking, people that are close to you don't change unless they come to know Jesus. So you have repeated patterns, often for many, many years, uh, long past my childhood into adulthood because my parents had not come to the Lord. And just being able to continually forgive these different things as they came up. And I can remember the day so vividly that I was visiting my father and he became his ugly self, and um, it hurt, but I realized I was free. It was not a knife in my heart. It was a hurtful event, painful words, but he didn't have control over me anymore. I was free. And I want everyone else that has ever experienced hurt, deep hurt, long-term pain, to have that kind of freedom and victory that the Lord blessed me with. As time had gone on, particularly with the trial and all that's been going on, there's just so many variables of things that have been said and done. Um, For many of you, you know, if somebody has a tragedy, you often don't know how to respond. And that's okay. The one that's experienced the tragedy doesn't know how to respond either. The only thing that really matters is that you care, you pray, you hug, and you say, I'm sorry for your loss or whatever the circumstance might be. But not just once. Keep doing it. The pain is not instantly gone away. And just knowing that you have people in your sphere, like our home church, and then we have lots of people on our email prayer team, phone calls, notes, different things that tell us that they are with us for the long haul. This last week, on the 6th of June, was Caleb's fifth birthday. 
and he's celebrating in heaven. I'm not quite sure what a birthday party with the king is like, but I'll bet you it's fun. And a few weeks before that was Ryan and Laura's 10th wedding anniversary. When our daughter and her husband uh, celebrated their 10th anniversary, they were in Italy. But Ryan and Laura are in heaven. Must be an amazing way to celebrate an anniversary. And there will be more and more things like that year after year. Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthdays, anniversaries. Not one year, not five years, not ten years, but for the rest of our lives realizing what we're missing. But it doesn't have to be a stab in the heart. It can be reality. Yes, this is Caleb's birthday, and I'm sorry, very sorry he's not here. But he is in a better place. And those words can sound so trite, but they're true. Ryan, Laura, Caleb, Shannon, and the little boy's name was Ethan David, are all in a better place. And someday, I will see him again. There are a couple of books that have been extremely meaningful to me. The first one was sent to me by one of our supporters whose husband had died. She's a widow now, an older woman. And uh, she's a great reader and teacher and she said, this is the, by far the best book I've ever read on loss. And it's called A, um, a Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. And he shares about all kinds of loss. Everybody has loss. All of you have had multiple kinds of loss. It can be the loss of a friendship here when somebody rotates back to the States. It could be the loss of a dream or a job. Um, the college you didn't get into that you wanted to go to. There's so many kinds of losses that we experience. And the book is excellent about dealing with loss, but also helping you help others deal with loss. Because everybody you know is dealing with loss as well at one time or another. And the second book was um, All Things New by John Eldridge. Uh, the New Heaven, New Earth, and the Restoration of Everything You Love. John Eldridge lost his three best friends, not all at once, but his high school best friend, then later his college best friend, and then his uh, backpacking best friend as an adult. And um, when the third time, when Craig died, he really decided to buckle down and find out, okay, what really happens when we die? And he's written lots of wonderful books, John Eldridge has, but he really focused on that, and this book is about what we have to look forward to. And the new heaven comes to earth with the new Jerusalem, and we have the new earth. We will have a global, universal Eden, and it's going to be amazing. So from my head and my heart, I've read the first book on uh, loss four times, I'm on my fifth time going through all things new. And I need to keep my head in that place because nobody else is helping me keep it there. A lot of things that people say and do are dragging me down rather than lifting me up, much less keeping my eyes on Jesus and what is ahead. So sometimes, as in the book of Job's, friends don't always help. 
So it's better to say very little, but be there, hug, cry, and relax. Your friend just needs to know you care and you're there. Bringing a meal is wonderful. Helping to clean the house is great. All of those things are what really make a difference in the midst of that kind of pain. One of the things I'm thinking about right now is, are you aware, we sung a lot of songs about forgiveness and what we received when Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. Every one of us has been forgiven for every sin we have already committed and every sin we will ever commit. Is that correct? Yeah. Do you know who else has already been fully forgiven? Every person who has ever hurt you, including Kobari as a murderer and and one who assaulted Laura. His sins were all paid for when Jesus died on the cross. That is why I can freely forgive him. If I choose not to forgive him, I'm saying I have a higher standard than Jesus does. Can any of us say that? That we have a higher standard than Jesus for forgiveness? No. So that is why it's right to forgive. It's biblical, but it's also right. It's, and, um, so I encourage all of you, you probably have not just one, but a number of people that have hurt you deeply that you begin working through that process of asking God to show you specific events that were hurtful and then writing down how you felt at that time. And if you're not sure, just keep asking God. And you know those, uh, you, you get them on the Internet, all those funny faces that tell you how you feel, sad, glad, all of those things. Look at those faces and see, how did I feel at that time? And then forgive the person for the pain that they caused. Forgive them for triggering your response. Confess your response as necessary if it was sinful, which it usually is, because self has been hurt. And then as you look at coping skills, like I had developed, forgiving them for starting that domino effect process through the coping skills that go eventually to strongholds. So I'm going to pray and ask God just to speak to you about one person that you know you need to forgive. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every one of my sins, past, present, and future, and every sin, past, present, and future of every person who has ever hurt me. And I thank you that that's true for everyone in this room. And I just ask that you would move them to action. It's so easy to be passive, to know you want to do something, know you should do it, but then not do it. And that's all from the enemy. He does not want you to take these steps toward your emotional healing and your freedom. 
So, Lord, I just thank you that you are going to bring each of these brothers and sisters to that place of hard work. And it is. It's painful. A lot of people don't want to remember the memories, so they don't want to go back there. But if you don't, you will not have emotional healing. So, Lord, I just thank you that you will do that and you will free them and you will use them to help others find the same kind of freedom. And I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.